Every day is a brand new adventure. So let's embark on this journey together. City News 570 presents Kitchener Today. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's Brenda Halloran, your guest host on Kitchener Today. How are you doing? How are you doing missing an hour of sleep? Well, I know I'm tired and I can't figure out why. And uh, we're going to talk about that today. But the best joke on Facebook I read this weekend was this one. The hour we lost this weekend was the one when I was planning to go to the gym. How true is that? You know, it was that hour and I I lost it, so I guess I won't be going to the gym today. Uh, yeah, I, I probably should, but I won't be going today. So we have a great show lineup today, lots to talk about. Uh, happy March break, everyone. The city is empty. Where is everyone? I can't believe that the majority of people in this region have gone somewhere, but we heard that uh, it, it was the busiest day at the airport on Friday, and, and I really think everybody from Waterloo Region is on those planes going somewhere. I went shopping on Saturday and the stores were empty, which was really shocking to me. Um, so, so what do you think? Are, are, is everybody gone or was people just sleeping because they knew they were going to lose an hour of sleep? We had a crazy weather week coming up and you know you're Canadian when the weather jumps all over the place. So on the weekend we were having snow squalls and storms. Today's 6 degrees, tomorrow's 4, Wednesday's 12. But on Thursday it's going to be 16 degrees. And back to, to nine on Friday. But but the good news is spring is on the way. We just have to get this snow melted and, and get on with it and start looking for those first beautiful little green sprouts and buds of the spring coming along. And I want to know, how are you doing losing your sleep? Are you going to be uh, able to cope for the rest of, the, of today? Or are you you're suffering from some of the, the ramifications of losing that hour? Today we've got lots lined up. We're going to be talking about our history of rock and roll in the region with Betty Ann Keller. And did you know that Led Zeppelin, yes, Led Zeppelin played here in 1969. Who out there listening was went to that uh, concert? That's incredible to me. I had no idea until I started uh, researching. But Betty Ann Keller has created a movie and we're going to talk about it. We're going to be hearing from Julie Sawatsky. She's a local community hero and has created the organization 519 Community Collective. She's got quite a lot to share with us. We're going to talk about daylight saving time, and it's daylight saving time. There's no S in any of those words. The what, the why, and how come, um, we'll discuss it. We're going to talk again with Pet Peeves. We've got producer Polly and myself. Um, I've been asked several times to, to bring back Pet Peeves, so... Um, that's not my pet peeve that people want to talk about pet peeves, but I think it's pretty cool. But we'll also ta- ask you, have you ever been told you look like someone famous? Who is your doppelganger? And um, we're going to be also having two local business leaders coming in and talking again about how COVID has impacted their business. I think it's really important that we still remember there's been two years lost for a lot of business people on income and and, uh, wages and so much that they've struggled through. So we're going to be talking to um, uh, Paul Maxwell of Maxwell's Concert and Events and to Danielle Green, who has her own business, and uh, they've got lots to tell us about. But first, I'd like to bring on our guest, and it's Paul Normando. And Paul, um, I, I just read an article about him, about how he's going to be collecting donations to ship to Ukraine. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining our show. Oh, no problem, no problem. 
it's quite a story, and I'm so, so, you know, when, when people like you step up and just, just do something to help others, it really, it shines a light on how wonderful um, this community is and how much we care. So can you talk to us about what you're doing? Well, what I wanted to do is I, I'm just like anybody else. I was sitting on the couch and just listening to the struggles that are going on in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? So while driving, I'm thinking, well, why don't I just phone a Ukrainian church? And all of a sudden, I didn't get an answer. And then the second day, I got an answer from one of the churches, and they said they would help out and actually send the stuff over to right over to Ukraine. So uh, being an old pro at this, uh, when the Philippines had their, their problems with the earthquakes, me and my wife, all we did was put up some signs. We put out a box, just a big box in front of our yard. Five days later, we had 16 boxes full oh of stuff. Oh, my gosh. So what what I'm kind thinking, of stuff, well, though, Paul? What kind of stuff did you collect for the Philippines? For the Philippines, every kind of disaster you can think of, food, blankets, clothing, anything, right? So we sent it to the uh, um, Toronto, and then they sent it right to the Philippines. This time, I'm thinking, well, Maybe let's do it this way. Well, well, I put up, I made nine signs and put them all over the neighborhood in the Chicopee area. The neighbors probably hate it, but I mean, you know, I want to do something good. So I, all I did is once again, I put a big gigantic box in my driveway and started yesterday on Sunday. And uh, we already got five big bags of, uh, um, this is what we need. The church is wanting us to get is first aid kits. Blankets, sleeping bags, children's clothes, but they got to be new from mm -hmm. ages zero to five. Mm. And that's all we need. Well, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you make it sound lot, like an easy I mean, thing to do, but this is wonderful. Yes. And the reason why I want to do this is because this touches me a lot. But can you just imagine little Billy sitting in a, a bomb shelter right now, right? He wants yeah. to play with his G.I. Joe, but he can't. Yeah. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, I want to go play with Barney. I want to go watch Barney. You can't. Mother is sitting beside him wondering, I, I need food. I need blankets. All of a sudden, when you get out of the bomb shelter, can you just imagine somebody hands them a blanket from my box? Mm -hmm. A Canadian box. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's just a way to help people. So I'm, I'm, what I'm wanted to do is just get off my butt and help. Just, just help. That's all. Well, you it, sure it's are. It's a good feeling. It is a good feeling. So um, what prompted you, though? Like you said, you were just kind of watching TV, but a lot of people watch TV and, and flick the station and don't do anything. So what makes you so, so um, determined to help? Yeah, I care. I know for a fact that everybody cares. They're listening to it. Mm -hmm. But what do I do? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Mm -hmm. This little thing of bringing over stuff. I mean, don't worry about just bringing over to my house. Just do something. Yeah. But if you can, go over. To, I'm going to add the address if I can. Yes. It's, oh, yes, it's, please. It's 205 Briar Meadow Drive. And you'll see... A big box in my driveway. Just all you got to do is lift up the lid and put it in. And then uh, I collect it. And, you know, every once in a while we'll go, we'll uh, collect it, put it in the garage. And then on Sunday I just contacted the priest 
at the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of Saint Sophia mm-hmm. in Waterloo. Mm-hmm. In Waterloo, and on uh, Monday we'll get it organized, and I can bring it to him. And he said that he'd bring it. You know, they're going to get it to Ukraine or you know whoever needs it around that area. And you said that people need sleeping bags. So you, how did you find out what people needed? The priest, the, the priest. Oh. He wanted me yeah. to just make sure that, you know, um, those three items, four items are the ones that they need right now. I asked if he could, you know, the food and all that, but he said, no, it would be better just do mm-hmm. those four things right now. He said right now, but I mean, you know, maybe later on it will change, right? Mm-hmm. But I just want to do what he wanted to do, and, you know, we'll send it over to him, and then hopefully little Johnny yeah. <laughs> grab that stuff. So you've been watching the the, the, the scenes of, of families and children and, and seniors um, trying to get out of the Ukraine. Yeah. That it, it's so sad, but you know what? In 2022, it's right now. It is right now. Right? Mm-hmm. Those people are in bomb shelters mm-hmm. in the bottom of the subways. They can't get out. They can't do anything. Yeah. Right? So just by doing this little thing, maybe we can help them. Well, it isn't a little thing. It's a big well, thank thing. You. Yeah, it's a really big thing. And when I heard about you and read the article, um, you know, you just you just made my heart full because it's so easy to not do something. It's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Just get, get nine signs. You know, it, it took some work. But, I mean, just put those signs out and people see it. They, they stop and they and one lady, I couldn't believe it, she got out of the car and took a picture. Right? You know, the, the sign. Just keep it simple, right? Yep. There, there's no government, there's no, you know, I'm not yeah. putting anybody down, but just keep it as simple as you. possible. Yeah. And people are actually doing it. The Kitchener area is just fantastic. It, it's a truly I, I, generous community. I know I'm community. not expecting 15 boxes, but I mean, it, you know, people are already doing it. it it's a, I, I think it's a good thing. Well, you said in five days you had 16 boxes of, of items to send to the Philippines. I don't think we'll get, you know, I, I, no way are we going to get that. I mean, we're hoping, the priest <laughs> is hoping, everybody's hoping, but I mean, you know, that, that's a lot. But I mean, uh, this time it's not uh, what they needed in the Philippines. You know, I wish I could do other things, but mm-hmm. I can't, you know, because that's what the priest wants, right? Mm-hmm. So I was curious, um, we know that there's going to be an influx of, of Ukrainian refugees coming to Waterloo Region, and we're not yeah. sure how many. Is this something you would also be trying to gather things for people? If, if, if the demand is there and if somebody, you know, if I can help them in any way possible, bringing stuff to them, anybody who wants to, uh, um, you know, help them to come to uh, Kitchener alone, mm-hmm. I'll be, uh, just, just let me know. So you anything now? You still plan on collecting and helping in any way that you can. Any any way we can. Oh, My so whole lovely. family and me, we're all ready. We're ready to go. That's so wonderful, Paul. So if you have you gotten a lot of, of items so far? I think you just started collecting yesterday. Yes, yesterday we got five bags. It's small, but I mean the word is just getting out, right? Because I started just putting it out uh, Sunday uh, Sunday morning. Boy, that's really incredible. So things are, you know, things will move very, very fast. Yeah. And I, like I said on Monday, uh, we I was going to stop, but if if I hear that there, there's more of a demand, let's it, it, just keep going. And so now that you have the time, you know, and you're on the radio, and there's there's people yeah. listening. Um, what is the message you would like to share with our community? I'm just a, no- <laughs> I'm just a nobody. 
God. just trying to help. Paul, you are not a nobody. You are somebody. You well, know, thank you. That's so wonderful. I just want to be able <clears throat> sorry. I just want to be able to help. And I know there are good people, good people around who want to help too. So I, yeah, and if you get um like if, if you get items that you're not looking for, because right now you're saying you're going to be collecting for the next week. So from yeah. March thirteenth to yeah. March twentieth, you are asking people for donations of sleeping bags, first aid kits, and new clothes for children aged yeah. zero to five. And and you want to stress again, new clothes. Yes, um, because the, the, I don't know why that's what the priest wanted, but it, you know, um, somebody put it to me if, if, when they're in desperate need. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice to have something nice and new. Right. Yes. So do you know if they're looking for snow suits or sweaters? Like, do you have any idea just kind of the breakdown of what type of well, clothing? What I heard, what I heard, it's cold. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I asked the priest just a little while ago, can we add some more things? And he said, not right now. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, let, let you know, in anything else that is put in the box that can't go, uh, I, I, you know, I'm just going to give it to the food bank because I've, I've done the food bank. Before, oh yeah, yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. Instead of giving it back, you know, I'll, I'll get to uh, I'll get to the food bank and they can take it and help the people around Kitchener. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I was curious. So when you went when you did um, the collection for the Philippines, what yeah. what was the situation at that time? Well. Uh, what, once again, we were sitting there. My wife's Filipino. We had no idea what to do. So just once again, keep it simple. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, not the Red Cross. Uh, what we wanted to do is we, we sent it to the somebody we knew. So we sent it to the Mormon church, and they, they got all the stuff and they rearranged it, everything like that. Four little signs on the corner of Sterling and Highland, 16 boxes later. <laughs> we had the whole house completely <laughs> packed with uh, food, clothing, people volunteering to pack the boxes. It oh was goodness. fantastic. Yeah. Okay? The people here are just something else. Okay? Hmm. And I know we can do it. I, I'm not expecting 16 boxes. I mean, you know, that's crazy. But if, if it happens, it happens. I mean, the church will love it, right? Anything we can do. Well, hopefully you're going to have 17 boxes. Well, hopefully. <laughs> Kitchener help me. Yeah. And I'll help you back. That's a really yeah. good shout out, Kitchener. Yeah. Water- well, let's talk to the whole region, Waterloo Region. Anybody it's a who huge... wants to help, my driveway is open. Okay. <laughs> and how are you going to get, um, like, you've got a big box. How are you going to get it to the church? Okay, what's going to happen is he, uh, the priest already told me uh, he would come to the right to the house and uh, collect it himself, or we got lots of people around who can bring it to him. Wow, that's and right. you have a lot of volunteers stepping up to help out. They're, <laughs> all I got to do is ask the Filipino yeah. Association. They're always willing to help, and yeah, anybody, neighbors, anybody who wants to help. Uh, I, you know, I'm hoping it'll be big, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, uh, we, I don't know. We're just hoping that uh, the garage is full, which you know, I don't think it will be. But I mean, with, with the support that we're getting, I know it. Hopefully, it will be. So are you on Facebook? Like, are you posting anything on social media so people can follow what you're doing? Me, me and computer don't get along. <laughs> well, I, I uh, cut the grass. My wife is on the computer. Well, right? you, yeah. So what I'll do, Paul, is I'll um, put this information on my Facebook site so that people can share it far and wide. Can I give, can I give my wife's email? 
Well, not over the phone. Let's, oh, sorry. I want to protect her, her privacy. Yes. But You can tell I don't know anything about Oh, well, that's you. okay, love. But I, uh, um, I'm happy to put this on my Facebook site. And Excellent. if people can, yeah, if people can just, you know, follow, look, find me on Facebook and I'll have the information and I'll put your address on there and kind yeah. of what you're yeah. looking for. Um, let's encourage people, please. It's brand new clothing for children. Yes, please. I know it'd be nice to do. I mean, we would have probably 50 boxes of, of used clothing to send yeah. over because people are so kind and generous, but it's new clothing at this time. No toys, yeah. no stuffed animals. Yeah. Like this is really a specific ask from the Ukrainian Orthodox Church to, yeah. to supply sleeping bags, first aid kits, and new clothes for children aged yeah. 0 to 5. And blankets. And blankets. Oh, and blankets. Oh, am yeah. I ever glad you said yeah, that? I just, I just asked him today, and I, because I mean, I'm thinking if people don't want to drop off sleeping bags, yeah, he's fine with a blanket. And it's, can can they be somewhat used, or does he want new blankets? You know what? If I was cold, I don't care. Oh, how true! You is know what I mean? I sure do. You're going to make me cry. That's so very, Sorry. very true. Yes. Yeah, so let's do one more shout-out. Paul Normando, just an incredible community hero, was sitting wow. on, on the couch watching TV and said, darn it, I've got to do something, and you did, and you're helping out. And I can't you, tell you how you proud said, I am you of said, you. You said the wrong word, a hero. I'm not a hero. Uh, well, to I'm me you are. nobody who wants to help. Oh, you're so sweet. So I'm going to put the information on my Facebook site for everybody because it's just, I know it's hard for people to remember, but yeah. uh, Paul started doing this um, yesterday on March 13th. Yeah, on Sunday, 13th. Yep, yeah. Sunday. And he's going to do this until March 20th, but I think if you're getting a lot of um, yeah. items, you'll yeah. continue. Your yeah. your um, address is 205 Briar Meadow Drive in Kitchener. I will post this on my Facebook site and list what you're looking for. And, Paul, I want to thank yeah. you from the bottom of my heart for you know not being thank- that person who yeah. sits there doing nothing but stepping up and doing something. Thank you yeah, so I wanna, much. I want to thank you, too. Right? My pleasure. And the rest of the Kitchener. Can I add my phone number or is that too much? Uh, I'll, um, I think... Can we off air? Uh, let's do it off air, and I'll just yeah. make sure for your own pr- privacy yeah, yeah, if I yeah, can post yeah, that. Yeah, I, I just want to make sure you don't get yeah. a bazillion calls and not know what to yeah, do with yeah. it. Okay, thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you, love. Thank you. So proud okay. of you. Thank, right, thank you. you. All right, bye bye. Thank you. Get your nerves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, bye. Wow, what an amazing man! And um, as you know, people always say somebody should do something about that. Somebody should do something. Well, Paul is a somebody, and he doing something and he needs uh, some donations and let's make this happen for him. Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge and, and uh, Waterloo region. Let's let's give him as much as we can and fill up 17 big boxes that he can be sent to the Ukraine and um, help the Ukrainian people. Thank you, Paul. And now it's time for a break. And welcome back, everyone, to Kitchener Today. I'm Brenda Halloran, your your guest host for this afternoon. Um, boy, you know, I, when I talk to people like Paul Normando, it makes me really think about how wonderful this community is and how generous people are. But I also think about how fortunate we are to have been born here or to have moved here, but to be Canadian. And, you know, Canada's gone through some interesting times, you know, with the Freedom Convoys, and there's been a lot of... A lot of anger and hostility and animosity over the last little while in our country. And I think it's time that we remember how great it is to live in Canada, how 
fortunate we are to be Canadians. And yeah, we have our differences and, and we get crabby with each other. I, I was listening to Rant and Raves this morning with Mike's show and there seemed to be some interesting things happening there. But um, let's really think it through sometimes. If you're feeling a little bit crabby about stuff or just kind of just, just life in general, remember we are blessed that we have the opportunity to help others and to do things that um, make a difference in other people's worlds. So Paul's looking for um, sleeping bags, first aid kits, new clothes for children age zero to five, and blankets. And I'm going to post that information on my Facebook site so you can follow it. Now, coming up next, it's it's quite a change from what we were talking about. I'm going to be talking to this beautiful woman who is on the front page of Waterloo Region Record, Betty Ann Keller. I've worked with her at the city for many, many years. But Betty Ann's created this Rock This Town movie um, about, about the rock scene in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo during the, well, from the 1960s up. And, uh, Polly, do you think you could find us like a Led Zeppelin riff to, to play before she comes on? Thumbs up. I can't believe that Led Zeppelin played here in 1969. But the the craziest thing is that Kiss played here in, I think, 1976 at the Odd. Remember the Odd? Who went to the auditorium? All of us old baby boomers, we were there rocking them, and we still think we're rockers too. Uh, so we're going to have a great talk with Betty Ann and hear about her movie. And the history of music in our community is amazing. So we're going to take it to the news, and then we're going to come back with some talk about rock and roll. Man, this brings back memories. How about the rest of you? It almost gives me goosebumps because I haven't heard that in quite a while. And I think all of us kind of know where we were when we first started hearing music from Led Zeppelin. Like it just transformed all of us. That and I think the Beatles. But I'm I'm a boomer and music was really, really different in those days. And this morning, I looked at the Waterloo Region record and there was this most beautiful, amazing woman looking back at me, Betty Ann Keller. I've known Betty Ann for so many years. Welcome to the show, Betty Ann. Hi, Brenda. It's so it's unnerving seeing your picture in the newspaper. I don't know how you ever got used to it. I never did. I never did. Never liked my picture ever, but um, I think you look fantastic. And so f- for the listeners, uh, Betty Ann Keller worked at the City of Waterloo. Uh, we worked together for, gosh, well, I was there for eight years, and you and I were together. So you were there from 1996. I was there from 98 until I retired in 2013. Yeah, and I was sad to see you go because you were our manager of culture and, and you just uh, you just always were looking for the most exciting thing that could be brought to this community and putting on wonderful events and shows. like you're Best just, job ever. Best job, and you did the best job ever. But now you're doing something that's even better. I have to tell you this. So I want you to talk about uh, the movie that you've created called Rock This Town. And it is, um, it's about our region's musical history for the past 60 years. Well, it's, uh, it started as a, as a research project as part of my retirement activities. I've always heard stories about what happened in the music world in the 60s and 70s. And there was a lot of what I would call misinformation. So I set out to get the facts straight 
But then the pandemic hit, and what I realized is that all my friends in the music community were really suffering, and I could see festivals struggling, and I could see venues struggling, and I thought, okay, maybe this is the moment to tell the story of this incredible scene that happened here in Kitchener-Waterloo in the 60s and 70s as a way to light up the audience and try to put some energy into the live music picture so that after the pandemic that we can recover from all of that, uh, uh, all of those challenges. So it was, it's been a pretty exciting project, I have to say, and um, had tremendous support from a lot of different quarters in the community and a lot of people really tuned into the business side of the music business were happy to do an interview with me and that's the foundation of the film is the stories from business people like you know Gil Zerberg managed the Sam owned and operated I should say the Sam the Record Man store for many mm-hmm. years and Denise Donlin uh, was she was a programmer at the University of Waterloo back in the 70s but She went on to be the president of Sony Music Canada and Much Music, Mm. VJ, and CBC Radio. And so she's totally a part of the Canadian music scene, but she understands what it's like to program music in a mid-sized city like Kitchener-Waterloo. So I was... um, I was interested to see that London, Ontario was designated as one of 60 UNESCO music cities in the world. What happened to us? Well, exactly. <laughs> that was my reaction. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about in um, in terms of the music scene here in Kitchener-Waterloo, and I would really like to see us uh, be recognized as a as music city because... According to young musicians like Matt Weidinger, we already are. Um, so that's where my optimism and faith comes from, is that there's still really thriving music festivals here mm-hmm. in our community. And I think that's where, that's going to be the road back for us. Um, you know, the festivals like blues and jazz mm-hmm. and Kulturen, um they provide that foundational intergenerational experience for um, for enjoying and savoring live music together in community. Um, it, it gives us a way to um, celebrate together in, a, in, such a powerful, uh, in such a powerful way by connecting through the music that we all love. So I'm excited about mm-hmm. the potential for the film to generate some really interesting community conversations. Well, you've got to have some wonderful stories to share with us. But I was, I think um, when we talk about the the musical scene in, in uh, Waterloo Region, I think we just took it for granted because, uh, be pre, you know, pre-COVID, we, we had so many musical festivals and events going on that I think we really took them for granted. Yeah. And and two years of not having anything, this this quiet, dry spell, and now to see, you know, things are revving up and people are wanting to get back out to these events. So what do you see happening this summer? What are the big events coming up that, that you're excited about? I think the Blues Festival is going to be back in force. Yeah. And um, Isabel Cisterna, as you know, is a force of nature. There is. And she'll be giving us some world music festivals. I'm excited about going to the Registry Theatre for a concert on Wednesday night this week as part of the Irish Real Life Festival. And then I've got tickets for Serena Ryder and William Prince at the Centre in the Square in April. So 
live music has been a part of my personal story. Um, just the excitement of being in the audience for, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I think my favorite act of all times that we presented was Jethro Tull and <laughs> Ian Anderson and that wonderful flute player. And That was at the Kitchener Auditorium, and I still remember it as vividly as if it happened yesterday, or sitting in the front row for the Alice Cooper concert at the Kitchener Auditorium. That was a mistake, because the the four rows immediately behind me got up out of their chairs and uh, rushed the stage, trampling me in in the process. (laughs) So it was... You know, a lot of memories, Brenda, yeah. from oh, those years. But so true. the bottom line was it was magic to be in the audi- in the audience for those kinds of uh, talented people giving us their music. So when you went to the Alice Cooper con- con- uh, concert, was that when he had the guillotine? Uh, yeah, w- was that when we had the... Remember he had a guillotine that's part of one of his... Um, oh, the concerts. guillotine. Mm-hmm. Though there was no guillotine in that show, but there um, there was a lot of makeup. <laughs> and it was so unusual to to see this type of rock he and roll. definitely introduced a little theater into the picture, didn't he? <laughs> it was wonderful. So I was reading some of the um, acts that you know that you've been involved with that, to, to help get here. So your very first one, I think, was Joni Mitchell when you were at university. Well, that, yeah, and my husband at the time and I were working together on a lot of those shows, and I moved into a more manager, operator, producer role over time as he got busy with his full-time job at BF Goodrich. There's no, there's no money in presenting rock and roll concerts. I just need to say that right up <laughs> Just front. love, right? Love for the music. <laughs> Nobody does this to get rich. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Joni was the one that I remember quite vividly as, um, this is okay, this is my gig, and I'm in charge of all the details, and it's all down to me. So... Yeah, I went on from that to have a lot of responsibility with other artists, and I think the highlight of my involvement with music was being on the road with Rita McNeil and her band, and talk about an audience that fell in love with the artist. She was, she had them before she even opened her mouth to sing, you know? Yeah. The affection between her audience, Uh, and it was all through the music that she made. Um, Working Man was just hitting the yeah. charts when yeah. um, when I was on the road with them in Ontario. And we hit maybe eight or ten cities, but the one that stands out in my mind was Kirkland Lake and 3,000 people in the arena there. And it's a mining community, right? Yeah. So every one of those people got up out of their chairs and came and said hello to Rita. <laughs> Is that right? Oh, how lovely. It was amazing. Aww. But that's a really good example of how um, how people have a, a heart connection mm-hmm. to what's happening on the stage and that's what turns my crank. So you now you uh, also were were um working with uh, bringing Bob Dylan. Here? Yep, I was um I was doing the Bob Dylan show in partnership with um CPI and DKD out of Toronto and Montreal and that was a great partnership for bringing some of those big acts into Kitchener I must say. But at that time, Dylan was doing, um, he was transitioning to a more electric sound, and he was doing a lot of Christian music, and the audience didn't necessarily appreciate the new direction he was going in. So the tickets were slow, it was not a big, it was not a big audience, and a lot of people left before the... (laughs) Uh, before the concert had really gotten underway. So it was an interesting time, but 
I have to say I was pretty thrilled to meet him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Bob Dylan, yeah. after all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne was the first rock show I ever did at the Centre in the Square after it opened. And it was interesting because because Ozzy and the band had a reputation for um, stirring up audiences to outrageous acts of violence, right? Yeah. So the Centre in the Square did not allow us to sell the mezzanine uh, tickets, the ones where there's a freestanding chair, because there was a concern that the chairs would be tossed over the railing. Oh my gosh, great stories. So, so it was, I mean, it was just, you know, maybe a little bit of nerves around this beautiful new theater that had just opened, yeah. but um, Aussie gave a great show and it sold out, of course, and nobody threw a chair, so it was fine. That's wonderful. How about Super Tramp? I just, didn't you have them stay at your home? Super Tramp, I have, a, I have a, a soft place in my heart for Super Tramp because in, in 1979, when we did the concert in July of uh, that summer, I was pregnant with with my second child, and huge with you know with, with the heat and tramping around backstage at the auditorium. And one of the guys in the band had just um, been present for the birth of his child in a trailer somewhere in California on tour. So I had a lot of attention uh-huh. from. <laughs> And my daughter was born a week later. So, um, yeah, so Super Tramp is um, near and dear to my heart for a whole bunch of reasons. Amazing. So I've got other names. So Kiss, were you uh, working with them? I'm I'm sorry, was I? The group Kiss? You were involved with them coming? I'm sorry, I'm still not getting it. I want to give you a kiss. A tip. Kiss. The group Kiss. K-I-S-S. A-I-S-S. Are we having trouble? Com- it's here. Well, you know what it is, Brenda? I spent all those years standing in the arena <laughs> with the full volume for a rock and roll show. Oh, I and love it. And sometimes even the hearing aids don't I fix love it. it. Um, Jean, Jean Simmons. Kiss. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, kiss. Yeah. Kiss. Right, right. Sorry, now I'm getting it. <laughs> Yeah, Kiss. Oh, so much fun. Kiss was, um, yeah. They had to. They did confess to us that they didn't. They knew they needed the makeup for um, for getting audiences because they just weren't that good musically. But I, I have some friends at the city of Waterloo that are going to be unhappy that I said that because they're great Kiss fans. However, um, yes, I was. Um, I was supposed to be running the Kiss show in the auditorium in 1975. But I went into labor with my first child, so it was a bit of a scramble to get a crew together to run the show. Because um, I was in the hospital having a baby when <laughs> Kiss was. Oh, <laughs> uh, what great story! So but tell we all us, lived to tell the tale. You did. So tell us some secrets from, like some. It's just you and me talking. Like just you could tell some secrets right now, right? But what are some of the, the most fun things that happened during your time working with these bands? Well. It was, um, you know, I'm kind of a serious person, Brenda, but you know that about me. I do. And I was always very businesslike. Um, so during the 60s and 70s, there were some crazy stuff that happened linked to the music business. But I have to say, I was always kind of apart from it because I, my responsibility was the 
box office and making sure that all the accounts were correct and um, was there enough security backstage and in the front of house. So there was never any, you know, any fun stuff that was going to happen was going to happen after the show was over and Quite often, I would stop at the Lank um, when it was still a bar. Mm-hmm. It was the only place that was open after the after the concert was over, besides Jimmy's lunch. And <laughs> <laughs> my security team and I would meet for a beer to decompress after the after the concerts. But during the concerts, I was kind of a, a serious person, just walking around with my briefcase <laughs> and, but you know. <laughs> So no fun stories in that regard. There's nothing like the Gene Simmons came up and, and gave you a kiss on the cheek or nothing romantic or exciting like that? Well, I did have a soft place in my heart for Chris Christopherson. Well, he was, he was cute. Yes. Um, and meeting him was kind of a small thrill, but that lasted about a minute and a half. So. <laughs> you had to get back to work. So there were some other guests uh, uh, shows that came on. So Ike and Tina Turner. Yes, interesting. Um, interesting to have been part of the long story for Tina, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he was not a particularly nice person. And um, Joe Risha tells the story in the film about um, uh, some awkwardness that happened when, I, when it was Ike and Tina Turner and the Ikeettes. Um, at the University of Waterloo, PAC. So I won't um, tell the story. You have to come and see Rock. Oh, I plan on it. (laughs) I plan on it. Um, How about, um, I'm looking at Genesis. Genesis is is a great uh, example of the, what I call the big, you know, theatrical Mm -hmm. um, and the big sound that came out in a particular era. And yes, and uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Mm -hmm. and Supertramp, but all those bands were part of that whole movement. You know, a lot of people have said that the the nature of the music business in the 60s and 70s created uh, very fertile ground for lots of creativity. Mm -hmm. And when the music business changed so that there were not, you know, the record companies had, had a lot of motivation to generate creative bands because they got it back in spades in record sales but when that changed when the when the records turned to something else to napster or online streaming or whatever record companies had less motivation to invest in talent up front and um and so i've heard people refer to the golden age of um the music business when in the 60s and 70s when it was possible for bands Mm -hmm. to really experiment with their sound um so it I think it's coming back now because we're deeply into what I would call the do-it-yourself generation of music makers, and we've we see it here in Kitchener Waterloo, where um, and because I spent some years at the Arts Fund board, you see the young creatives that are really on the edge yeah. of creating something new and different, and it's because um, nobody's expecting a big record label to provide the resources anymore people are just getting on with it and if they create something they can share it immediately get feedback on it immediately and that's that's where the there's a new kind of uh creativity that's emerging from um from the music business and from this scene locally in particular so Hmm. 
I'm hoping that um, that the revival through the festivals this summer is going to bring us back some of the live music venues that we've lost. For example, we yeah. lost the the Mill Race Festival in Cambridge for you know several reasons, but um, Rhapsody Barrel Bar is closed, and the Starlight Lounge in mm-hmm. um, Waterloo yeah. Uptown is gone. And it's because there's, it's just too hard, you know. Maxwell's Music House is, he's been paying rent through the yeah. pandemic. Like, how does that work? Yeah, right. Yeah, and I've got him on the show later today to talk about how oh, he survived, excellent. and he's so got a lot. It's all about music. Well, it just happened to be that way. But um, give your give your pitch now. Rock this town's going. It's a movie, it and is. it's playing it at is. the Princess Twin Theater. It starts March twenty fourth. Yep. There's two and shows at 7 and 9. From, well, at the moment, um, we've added two matinees on the following weekend, oh. April 1 and 2. Everything for the March 24th weekend is sold out. Um, so matinees on the following weekend, April 2 and 3. And John Todd at The Princess has said that he will add matinees and shows wherever he can, as long as the audience comes. I think we'll be. A lot of us want to see this. There's a lot of memories in these movies, or in your, the movie that you're you're showing us. And um, you know, we all have that first big concert that we went to when we were young, and our parents didn't know that we went, and we were probably underage and doing things we shouldn't have. But those were glorious <laughs> years of music. And uh, on that note, we have to to say goodbye to you. But we will be talking to you again. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show, Betty and Keller. It's wonderful speaking with you. And your movie is already a big success. Maybe we'll see at the at uh, the Emmys or the, or the Oscars or something because this is big. <laughs> thanks for calling me, Brenda. Uh, thanks, Betty Ann. See ya. Thank you. Bye bye. Well, everybody, start thinking about your big concerts. We have Mark holding on. Mark, if you can just wait for a few more minutes, we have to go to break, and then I'll be back to take your call. Thank you. All right, we are back, and I'm just reminiscing about the first record album cover that I bought. What was your first one? I, I mine was uh, Deep Purple. Okay, Mark, we're ready to hear from you. Okay, uh, good afternoon, Brenda. Um, boy, that was a good interview. <laughs> Thanks. I, re- I really enjoyed that with your guest there. Yeah, she's amazing. I was a bit young to see Led Zeppelin in 69. However, I did see Kiss live at the Kitchener Auditorium. Oh, you did? Six. <laughs> and it was awesome. They had the pyro tactics going on. Uh, Gene Simmons was blowing um, fire out of his mouth, <laughs> and his tongue was flailing. <laughs> it, you know him, right? Yeah. And it was crazy. I'll never forget it. And also, um, I did see Cooper at the Kitchener Odd, and he actually had the guillotine act. Oh. Yes, I, I see. I remember it clearly. And also, he did the song Dead Babies. Oh, yeah. And that was scary. It was scary he, and shocking. He, he was insane up on the stage. And apparently, he's just kind of an average guy who likes to golf. Yeah, he's a cool guy now. Exactly. <laughs> but you remember going to those concerts, and, and we just couldn't believe that we were actually able to see stuff like that. Because for you young kids listening, there's no social media, there's nothing. But record album covers, that would give you an idea, but that Dead Babies cover from Alice Cooper, that was yeah. really crazy. You are right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Those are great memories. Well, leading up with that... Um, 
you know, I was thinking of all the concerts I went to as a younger person, and it was just magical. And and I hope for for younger people now that they get a chance to go to some of these big, big monster concerts because um, it's it's an experience. And I'm just now I'm just going to think about all those wonderful concerts and and wander down memory lane as we head into the news. Thank you so much. Back. And what a wonderful show uh, we have today. We started out with speaking with Paul Normando, who, who decided it was time to step up and help out. Um, and I loved when he said, you know, I'm a nobody. And, and, and it, just, it just strikes me that people think that they're nobodies, but they really are somebodies. And people, um, we all want to say, oh, somebody should do something about that. Somebody needs to do something. Well, we are all somebodies. But my next guest is is a real somebody to me. And, and I've been following what she is doing in this community for a long time. And I'm just so so amazed and impressed with what Julie Sawatsky has created and accomplished and her call to action to this community and how many people are responding. Uh, Julie, welcome to the show. Oops, sorry. Hello? Yes, hello. I sorry, Julie. We had a little little technical difficulty there. Oh, sorry, so sorry about, about that. that. So happy to have you on the show. As I said, I've been following you for years, and I'm I'm a, a big fan of the work that you do. Um, I wanted to hear all about the stuff that you're doing in the community. Um, you're a professional photographer. That's kind of your your big day job. Yes, it is. <laughs> and and you do amazing stuff. And I'd love you to talk about that. You're a, a, a busy mom here, a busy community person, and something that I think is really important for this community to know is that Julie won the KW Oktoberfest Rogers Woman of the Year Award uh, for community service, and boy, it, that was so well-deserved. So, Julie, you, you created the 519 Community Collective, and if you would like to just start talking about that and telling us why and when and who and what, because it's quite, a, quite an amazing story. Yes, thank you so much. That's quite an intro. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can uh, I can lead well with that. Um, so essentially, uh, the Five One Nine Community Collective has some very humble roots. It started um, March thirtieth, twenty twenty, at the beginning of the pandemic, when I very quickly realized that um, <clears throat> with my businesses being shut down, mm-hmm. with many friends and family members um, being stuck at home and, and dealing with situations they had never imagined they would before depression started mm-hmm. to creep in. And I noticed it in myself and I noticed it in some of my friends and family. So I decided that I was going to start a group on Facebook where people could share their thoughts and stories and really just be vulnerable in the group and share exactly what was going on with them. And very quickly, I realized that there was a lot of need in the community and that I was in a very, um, blessed situation um, and I realized that if I'm going to be shut down and I'm not able to do what I love um, then I'm going to do something else that I love and have wanted to bring to fruition for a really long time but have never really had the opportunity but COVID kind of um, gave this um, group an opportunity so uh, we essentially just started out very small sending out food hampers from our own pantry, getting um, different community members to contribute and help deliver hampers. And it just was a very um, small little thing, but it grew very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm happy to say that we started March 30th, 2020. It's now um, March 14th, 2022. And we now almost have 9,000 members. Wow. 
in our main group, in our volunteer group, we have almost a thousand members and um, it continues to grow. It continues to spread. And my hope is just to create a sustainable, charitable grassroots model that will last for years, reaching thousands of people in need. So what exactly are you doing to help the community? Absolutely. So um, essentially we're on a mission. Our 519 community is on a mission to spread kindness, hope and love to our most vulnerable in the truth, uh, Tri-Cities. And we do that through uh, free food programs, community fridge, free food pantry initiatives. Uh, we have a new beginnings program. We have several street outreaches um, and some other community um, outreach programs where we help folks that are in need. So there's about 12 programs now that we run. Um, so in addition to the food hamper program that we essentially started at the very beginning, we have now branched out. So there's an umbrella of support through our 519 community. Wow. that My gosh, that's incredible. So how are you funding all of this? Yeah, so before I speak to that, I just want to say that, you know, what did start with just me in my home mm-hmm. has, has now really blossomed, and we have an incredible group of administration, team members, board of directors, and committee leaders as well that all work together, and uh, we are all 100% volunteers. So none of us take a paycheck mm-hmm. None of us are compensated financially in any way. The only compensation that happens is um, sometimes we'll need to provide a guest gift card to a volunteer who's doing a ton of driving that week or something like that. Um, But I'm really proud to say that all of the funding that we have received is completely organic community funding. Because we are not a registered charity and we're very proud of the fact that we've been able to make um, these many moves and this much progress in just sourcing donations through our community. Mm -hmm. So everything has been raised um, simply by expressing a need and the the funding just comes in. We have never taken advantage of any grants. We're not community, uh, sorry, regionally funded. We're not government funded. Uh, So everything we have is is just a miracle that it came in and we're just blessed to have it. Yeah. You know, for for the past couple of years, I follow you on Facebook and you would put out these passionate pleas that, we need this, we need that, can somebody provide this? And then all of a sudden there would be, you know, 50 people, yep, I've got your back, here's this, yes. I'm bringing this over. Like, what do it's you... incredible. It is incredible. What do you equate that to, Julie? You know, I have to say we have behind the scenes shed so many happy tears. You know, we have a group administration chat, and sometimes I just, I say sometimes, more like always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I call them excitedly, or one of them calls into the group excitedly, and we're just all... And here's just so incredibly grateful. We needed a trailer for our new beginnings program. And within a month, we had raised over $6,000. Um, and we actually had a local company, Weaver Lane Farms, custom build us the trailer of our dreams. And we were able to purchase that in full um, because of the support of our community. So it just it continues to blow our minds how, how people believe in this so much and how people are coming together. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Well, there's such a need and it just isn't going away. And and seeing that, you know, you started out with people just, you know, kind of talking about how the pandemic was affecting them and their mental health and depression and things like that. And then you started to see that you needed, uh, I think at the beginning, you did about 70 food hampers at the, that first, your first Christmas. Yes. So I believe that is about right, 100. And, and last year we did about 100, 200. And 25, it just keeps growing every year. And we now do Thanksgiving hampers, Easter hampers, Christmas hampers. 
And we realize there's other um, organizations that offer those as well, but not everyone knows about those. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to make sure we're able to help fill in the gaps wherever there is a need. So for the hampers, where are you getting the food donations from? Yeah, so again, completely organically sourced. Uh, We spend a lot of time, myself and some of the other members of our team, reaching out to people, uh, making connections, you know, sending out emails, going in person and introducing ourselves and our, our, our community. And um, we've been very blessed to have some incredible people in our community. Mm-hmm. I have to say Vanny Lotus from, um, uh, they have a yoga studio and they have been a regular contributor to us once a month for quite some time where they show up with like an SUV full of food that really helps to support our ongoing um, emergency hamper program. And then if we're running low on canned meats or canned um, vegetables, we just put the word out in their group. And then I can honestly say it's like manna from Mm -hmm. heaven. The next Mm -hmm. couple of days, the porch and and the garage are just filled with bags and boxes of those exact items that we need. So there's there's a need in the community and our community recognizes that. And Mm -hmm. we are so proud of them for stepping up every single time. It's, it's really amazing. It really is, Julian, and it is so so organic and so grassroots. And, and the thought that everybody's doing this as volunteers, there's no money being handed out. People are just doing it for the pure love and joy of helping others. Absolutely. And you tapped into that. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. I, yeah. I hope that people understand that certainly isn't about me. It's not the Julie show. I just happen to be the one mm-hmm. that got it started, and yes, I do um, help to run it. I have an amazing team now surrounding me. Um, but it, it just goes to show that one person with a dream or an idea, you know, if you work really, really hard and you make that a priority, you can, you can truly make a difference. You sure can. And you sure are. So when you get all these donations are like, I know initially you were just having them dropped off at your house and then you, you you know, you and your team would just put things together. Are you still getting drop-offs at your house? Oh, yes. So my house is basically our headquarters. It's kind of a joke we have. I say, you know, we started in my garage and we're still in the garage. <laughs> um, I know, like, we we are definitely looking for a headquarters, like a warehouse space, but that requires a humongous amount of funding and resources. Mm-hmm. So right now, um, I have not been able to park either one of our cars in our garage. We have a double car garage and it is just Absolutely organized to the T with probably 12 shelves. And we have everything from like food hampers. I have double-sided commercial freezers, fridges. Oh my gosh. Um, it's, it's, it's our warehouse essentially. And so I, we probably see four to seven people that come in and out every day from there and at my actual home. And we've just gotten used to that. You know, you, 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 the doorbell rings a lot and, you know, you're always on call, but it's part of it right now. You know, it's something that I've committed to and I, I hope and pray that the community will continue to watch the growth and want to help support um, our expansion into a better space because, you know, the garage isn't heated, very cold in there. And it's not ideal, you know, being in our home garage, yeah. we would love to have a more universal space where everyone could come um but that's that's on the needs list for sure <laughs> yeah so what is your wish list give us a let people yeah. know what you need absolutely so something that we are consistently in need of is non-perishable food items and perishable food items because we send out a, a remarkably large amount of tailored hampers for different situations whether it be 
you know, just as of recent last night, um, Leah was telling me, or my co-chair was telling me about outreach. There's a new mom there. She has a baby at the motels. There's another family that has this. Last week, it was a new family that had, you know, kids at the motels and they had several allergies and food um, resistance issues. And so there's just so many different uh, needs that we have every single day that require food. We support 24 little free food pantries across the region. We can literally use about six Rubbermaid bins per week per pantry location, to be completely honest. Mm. The need is just incredible within the region due to COVID and yeah. just the rising cost of rent and people are being evicted yeah. by the second. Yeah. Um, our community fridge is constantly being utilized, which is an amazing thing, but it's hard to keep it full. Mm-hmm. Um, so food is just right there at the top of the priorities list. Uh, secondly, um, we are really, really trying to find a central space in Kitchener. Um, we do have a storage unit right now, but it is not big enough. We need another one. I just paid the bill for the storage for um, the year just the other day, and it was just over $1,400. Mm-hmm. So to give people an idea of the cost, like yeah. that's a mandatory cost for us. Yeah. We have to do that because we have nowhere to put all of the furniture and items that we need for that program. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding a space, you know, ideally somewhere central that had electricity, plumbing, you know, washrooms, yeah. um, you know, just lots of space for us to store things, for to have meetings, to do all of those things. I know there's probably a space out there that would work really well. We just haven't found it yet, and we don't exactly have the funding yet, but I believe that the two, when the time is right, will kind of come hand in hand. And lastly, I would say able-bodied people. Mm-hmm. You know, we are constantly in need of volunteers of people who just want to help people. And we have an amazing uh, network within our community Mm -hmm. to help volunteers get involved. And Leah um, Goetz-Brien, our co-chair and volunteer coordinator, does a phenomenal job with our volunteers. She gets to know them. She gets to know exactly where they want to serve and puts them in the right places. And we we recently brought on a, a HR team support director, Christian, He's phenomenal as well. He's got some incredible insights on how to keep our team motivated and encouraged and taken care of. And so we just we would we would love to have people join our Facebook group and just see what it is we're doing and then see if that's something if there's something there that they think maybe I could help out. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear from them because we can use all the hands on deck. And what is the name of your Facebook group? Yes, so it's five one nine community collective three separate words essentially and sometimes people ask well where does the 519 community collective come from what's the name and i originally the name i i created it that because i was thinking 519 really represents like the tri-city yeah it's one of the main area codes and then i wanted it to be about the community but then a collective of people so it wasn't just about me it was about everybody helping together to make a difference so i felt that that name kind of embodied that and it's really kind of caught on it's it's across all of our social media and it's mm-hmm. a name that people recognize really well now so i'm i think that's a, a great name for what we got going on oh it really is so are do you is your long-term plan to to kind of become more of a charity to get registered as a charity to get government funding or do you want to keep it completely organic and volunteer based that is definitely where we're leaning. We've had a lot of coaching. We, you know, a lot of people don't realize what all happens behind the yeah. scenes. We're, we definitely know what we're doing and we definitely have a really big passion and a lot of encouragement to stay along the grassroots side of things. 
Uh, we run our organization like an organization. We have treasurer, accountant. We have every role is covered, a board of directors. Everything is as organized as any other charitable organization in the region. However, we find that people are really drawn to the grassroots aspect mm-hmm. of what we have yeah. going on. It's a special thing. You don't see it very often. I've never seen it in the region yet where there is something that's completely community funded, completely community run and totally volunteer. It's just a special little thing. And hopefully it will be sustainable at this level. If it's not, then we would revisit that. We definitely know what it's going to take for us to get not-for-profit status if we do decide to go that direction. And um, we certainly have the ducks in a row to go there if we need to. Oh, it sure sounds like it. What, and you've got the backing behind you. You've got big community lovers and people who want to get involved yes. supporting you. But you know what? You took you took this on and, and led the charge. And I, I'm, I have to tell you, within two years, to, to have an organization like yours and the size of it, the commitment of volunteers, and you're doing it without any government funding. It's all community driven. People are, are just doing doing what they can to help out because of, of their their love for this community and, and wanting to make things better. And we have a big need, as you say, with COVID happening. Families are are facing increased rent. Food is becoming an issue. You know, it's really shocking to me in a community like ours that we have to talk about families who are struggling with food insecurity. And that's a big oh, issue we, in this community. We get pictures of empty fridges. People can't wow. afford gas to get to their job. Yeah. So they can't, you know, there's people who have uh, disabilities, uh, mental health issues. There's so many barriers for accessing food resources or any resources at all. Or just lack of awareness. Yeah. A lot of people come to the country and they're newcomers and they just don't have the resources and they, they just don't have a list of things in front of them or there's language barriers. So we try really, really hard to just be non-judgmental and understand that, you know what, everyone's needs may look a little bit different, but we're not here to judge. And if yeah. someone's humbling themselves to come to us and ask for help with food, like imagine being a mom or a dad and having to go to a completely random group on Facebook and put yourself out there like that. You yeah. know that they're in need. Yeah. You know, no one would do that if they're not. So mm-hmm. we we take every situation at face value. We don't require people to fill out 10 documents to get help. We just get them help and as soon as we possibly can. And that's something we're really proud of. I'm proud of you, too. Uh, it really is incredible. So um, if people are interested in volunteering or finding out more about you, your Facebook group is called 519 Community Collective. Um, do yeah. you have your address there that pe- if people want to drop off goods to your home? Yes. So we don't, um, because it is my home, we can't just have an open drop-off mm-hmm. policy because mm-hmm. that could get a little bit insane and I'd probably lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Um, so we like to keep things organized and we want to make sure that the donations we're receiving are actually donations we would feel proud to give to somebody because just because you're experiencing homelessness or you know you're very vulnerable or experiencing poverty doesn't mean you want clothes with rips or stains or holes so we've we've developed an amazing um kind of procedure for donations where people can um, either email our donations email specifically they can uh, fill in uh, a donation form and then they can let us know exactly what we, they have in the condition. And we only accept donations that we actually need because we would spend a lot of time and resources just running around donating them mm-hmm. to other organizations. Yeah, yeah. So we, we want to make sure that um, the community trusts us and knows that we only ask for what we need and we give out everything that comes in. 
Well, Julie, I want to thank you so much for what you're doing. I know you have a lot of sleepless hours and, and, you know, you sacrifice a lot of your own personal time and time with your family and your business to help others. Uh, and I, I thank you. I sincerely thank you. I'm going to volunteer. I want to help out and I'll oh, be in touch love with you. To have you. Uh, that would be wonderful. Absolutely. You, you, I, I just can't wait to, to uh, step up and help out because we need to help people in this community. Um, I'm running out of time. I could talk to you for another hour and I will talk to you <laughs> offline. You're amazing. Thank you. I'm so proud of you and all all the volunteers in your team. Thank you yes, so much for you what so you're much. doing for this community. Thank you, Julie. Absolutely. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us on. My pleasure. Well, that's quite a story, everyone, and there's lots of good things happening in this community. And as I said, it's uh, 519 Community Collective on Facebook. And now we have to go to a break, and I think we'll be heading right to news almost. Uh, Polly's giving me that look. Talk to you later. Okay, so why am I so tired? What happened? I lost an hour of sleep. And so our next guest uh, coming up after the news is an expert on what happens to us when we we switch our clocks ahead and back, the impact on us, and um, yeah, it's going to explain to us why we're tired. Coming up next after the news on Kitchener Today. Is everybody ready for a nap? Because I think I am. I've lost an hour of sleep and I'll never find it again. And from what I've read, daylight saving time really does take a toll on us. It's almost like putting us in what they call social jet lag. And um, it's it's really interesting. You think one hour shouldn't have such an impact on us, but it does. And there are health impacts and there are concerns that experts have about us switching back and forth on time twice a year. And I'm really uh, excited to introduce our our next guest, Patricia Lakin-Thomas, who is a York University professor and Canadian Society for Chronobiology board member. And she's going to tell us why we're tired and what the effect is on us and what some of the concerns are with us doing these two time changes uh, during the year. Patricia, welcome so much to the show. Hi, Brenda. Glad to be with you. Are you tired today? Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm feeling the effect. <laughs> so talk to us about what the effect is. I'm really quite curious because, you know, we all think that um, sometimes we make these things up or, you know, in a couple of days of just not feeling right and it must be in our mind. But is it really or is it a physical effect we're having? Oh, it's a real effect. We can see the effects if you look at statistics for things like car accidents, heart attacks, um, oh. people getting injured at work people having strokes, they, they go up by like 5% or 8%, but just in a few days right after the time change. And it's only in the spring, in the spring forward. We don't see these effects in the fall. Oh. Um, there's even a study that looked at judges and the sentences that they give out <laughs> to the accused, and they give out 5% longer jail sentences um, for a few days right after the time change. So there are a couple of things going on. One is that we're just losing an hour of sleep, mm-hmm. and everybody's a little bit sleep-deprived, and we know that's bad for us. And the other thing is we're essentially giving ourselves an hour of jet lag. Yeah. So we're moving our body clocks an hour away from the sun clock, which is where we really want to be clued into. And why is that important? Well, we have a clock in the brain that clues into the light. It clues into the daylight. And it um, 
synchronizes clocks that are all over our body. Mm. So we have circadian clocks in our liver and our guts and our heart, and all the organs of the body are actually have their own rhythms, but they all have to be coordinated by the clock in the brain. Now, the brain clock runs a little bit slow. We lose like 20, 30 minutes every day, so we need to reset it every day. And what we reset to is the dawn. The sun coming up will move our clocks a little bit earlier and get us back uh, into sync with the 24-hour day. So we need that morning light. And when we are moving from our standard time, which we're on in the winter, to the daylight saving time in the summer, we're moving away, an hour away from the sun time. And we are putting our body a little bit out of sync with the natural daylight, which is where it wants to clue into. So we're giving ourselves jet lag, essentially. And it's a real thing. Oh, it's definitely a real thing. Yes, we can we can see that. And what surprised me, actually, this is fairly new data in the last few years. I was skeptical about it as well. Mm-hmm. But there's some really good studies now showing that we really do clue into the sun. Even though we live in an electric society where we've got artificial light, and there's a great study coming out of Germany where they the entire country is on one time zone. But, of course, the people on the east side see the sun come up an hour earlier than the people on the west side. But everybody has to set their alarm clocks and get up at the same time in the morning, go to, be, to, go to work, mm-hmm. go to school. So they ask people, well, if you have a free day when you don't have to get up, what time would you like to go to bed? And the people on the west side would like to go to bed later than the people on the east side. So even if they live in cities using artificial light, we're still sensitive to the sun, and we really are um, synchronizing ourselves to that natural light. So daylight saving time puts us an hour away from what our body is expecting. And our body is ramping up things like hormone levels at particular times. We have cortisol that increases in the morning to get us ready to get up. We've got insulin that our brain clock increases in anticipation of food. And all those things are now going to be happening about an hour away from where they should be. And we're not prepared to get up. We're not prepared uh, to handle that food that's coming in at our meals. And it's putting everything um, out of step in the body and causing real physiological effects. And how long does it take us to adjust to this time change? A a few days or like does the body gradually get, get prepared for that change? Well, the time, the, the time change in the spring, we lose an hour of sleep, and after a few days, you're going to be catching up on that, and you won't be feeling those effects. Um, we do adapt a bit to that jet lag feeling, but if you have daylight saving time year-round, which is what some people are proposing, we never really do um, adjust to that. We would be feeling a bit jet lagged all the time. And we can actually see that from some other data where they looked at people who live right along the edges of time zones, like on the east side of a time zone compared to the west side of a time zone. On the east side, they see the sun come up an hour earlier. And if you look at the health outcomes from people along the same time zone, um, you can actually see that people on the west side of the time zone have poor health outcomes. They're more likely to be overweight and have heart disease and to have 
rates of various cancers. They even have a slightly lower per capita income just because they're going to bed a little bit later. They're trying to follow the sun, but then they have to get up early in the morning and they're losing some sleep. They're sleep deprived and their body is a little bit jet lagged. So it's really surprising, but that one hour can make a real difference in our physiology. I have to admit, I'm quite, I'm really surprised. I'm quite shocked at that information. I would never have dreamed well, that would too. affect us. <laughs> no, I was too. I was skeptical about this, but yeah. these studies have just come out in the last few years. Um, and it's pretty clear from uh, countries that have tried to go on daylight saving time year round. And there are a lot of uh, governments right now that are trying to do that. Um, and we at the Canadian Society for Chronobiology and many other scientific societies are arguing against that and saying, we hate these time changes. Mm-hmm. They're not good for us. Let's get rid of them. But let's go to standard time year round mm-hmm. where our body is going to be aligned with the sun better. And we know that countries that have tried to go on daylight saving time, it sounds great before you do it and everybody votes in favor of it. And then after the first winter, when they realize that they're getting up an hour before the sunrise mm-hmm. and it's really hard on you, people hate it. And yeah. so after a couple of years, they'll stop the year-round daylight saving time because it's just so hard in the winter. Sounds great in the summer. Yeah. We get a little light in the afternoon. But the problem is in the winter, you don't have the light in the morning and that's what you need to reset your clock and you just need the light to get out and get to work and get to school on a winter morning. You know, this morning when I woke up and it felt more natural to wake up because the room was bright, you know, because there was actually sunshine coming in. And it it, um, it was interesting to experience that because we've spent all winter basically waking up and it's dark. And then all of a sudden That's there's right. sunshine. So it was quite, it was, it was quite like I had to kind of um, think about what, t- what time is it? What day is it? What's, <laughs> what's going on? There's sunshine. Well, that's nice in the summer. Yeah. Uh, but in the winter, if we kept daylight saving time year round, you'd be the sun wouldn't be coming up till like nine a.m. Oh in, in my Toronto. gosh! Oh yeah, and it, that's really hard on us. That's dismal. Yeah, it is really hard to have these dark, dark days. Now, there's there's quite actually a, um, an impact on children as well. Well, they're subject to the same uh, physiological. Um, processes that adults are, and they're also going to feel the effects of the jet lag. They're going to feel the effects of the loss of sleep. Um, And if we were to go to daylight saving time year-round, it would be families struggling trying to get kids awake in the morning when it's dark, Mm -hmm. get them ready to go to school in the dark. And mothers in particular, or the ones who usually have to do that work, would be really impacted by that. You know, one of the things that I remember from years and years ago was the the reasoning behind going to daylight saving time was to save on electricity because we were having a bit of an energy crisis. That was years and years ago, but I remember the impact of that thinking, well, how could that one hour make such a difference on um, just on our electrical charges? Yeah, and that was the argument that was used. I mean, the original argument was just uh, people wanted some sunlight in the afternoon in the summer so they could go out golfing, basically. Um, but when it was when it was um, first tried, it was tried during World War One um, by Germany and other countries also followed them, thinking it was going to save energy. And it came back in the 1970s in North America when there was an energy crisis. 
thinking it would save mm-hmm. energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. But people have looked really carefully at the data from those um, experiments, and the daylight saving time year-round never really saved energy. It mm-hmm. kind of depended on where you live and what your climate is. Some places they saved a little energy, other places it was actually worse. But on, on the whole, um, it was not useful for saving energy. And, and some people have said that it, they did it because the farmers wanted it. I was just going to ask um, you about that. Yeah. yeah, that's another rumor. Well, if you actually ask a farmer, they don't like it either. Their animals follow the sun, you know, um, and farmers don't find any use for daylight saving time at all. And, and, would animals be affected by it as well? Well, they're going to be outside. They're going to be under natural light. They are going to be very strongly um, synchronized with the day-night cycle, with the sun. And if you try to get them up early because you want to get some milk out of them to send your your um, your milk um, customers, the animals aren't going to get up early. So <laughs> farmers follow the rhythms of the animals and the animals follow the rhythms of the sun. Who would have ever thought that, <laughs> honestly, the I things you'll learn. <laughs> I don't think anyone ever asked the farmers. <laughs> no, no. But I, I read, too, that it goes back to, like, 1750. At that time, they were also talking about it. So it's been an issue that's been ongoing, like, for for well, centuries about changing well, the there, clocks. Yeah, there were some suggestions, uh, but it wasn't really a serious suggestion mm. back then. The The first idea is... Of course, it didn't become an issue until we actually had standardized time. And the time wasn't standardized until the late 19th century when the railroads in England required every little town that the train was going through to be on the same time. And it used to be every little town at its own time set by the sundial. So it wasn't until the late 19th century that time got standardized and that they chopped the world up into one-hour time zones. So the issue didn't really come up until um, around 1900 when it was proposed that maybe we should move the clocks so that we could get more light in the evening. Um, But it was basically a guy named William Willett who was an outdoorsman in England, and he just liked playing golf. He wanted to get out on the summer and have another hour to play golf in the afternoon. It's always those golfers, eh? It's always about them. (laughs) That's really interesting information. (laughs) Well... You know, that's the point, is that the people who like the idea of year-round daylight saving time are those people with the leisure to go out on a summer (laughs) afternoon. The people who are going to be negatively impacted if we do that are, of course, our essential workers who have to Mm -hmm. get up early in the morning and get to their their minimum wage jobs on public transit. It's the mothers trying to get their kids out of bed on, mm-hmm. a, on a cold winter morning. It won't be the retired golfers who are going to suffer from daylight saving time. <laughs> oh, I love it. So what I found interesting, too, is that um, in Canada, we're not, not all areas are, are adopting going to daylight saving time. So Yukon, most of Saskatchewan, and some parts of BC and Quebec still stay on standard time in Canada. But how can there just be sections of a province doing that? Well, they any any local jurisdiction can really pass whatever laws they like. The first place in the world that ever brought in daylight saving time was actually Port Arthur, Ontario, which is now Thunder Bay. Um, that town enacted daylight saving time in 1908, even before uh, countries were bringing it in during World War One. 
So it can be a local choice. Um, currently, Saskatchewan has been on daylight saving time for a number of years. I don't actually know what impact it has there. I haven't talked to anyone who's doing research in Saskatchewan. Uh, UConn voted for it in 2020, so they have year-round daylight saving time. And again, I haven't heard anything back from from the impact there and, and how they're handling it. But um, the rest of the country, they're talking about it. Ontario passed a law uh, in November 2020. It received royal assent to to go to year-round daylight saving time, but not until uh, well, the neighboring jurisdictions do it. So not until New York mm-hmm. and Quebec and, and maybe Michigan choose to move. Uh, and then it's at the discretion of the Ontario Attorney General as to whether that happens or not. So various places are suggesting it. Various um, states in the United States have voted in favor of it, but they can't move until the federal government in the U.S. passes a law to allow them to do that. So we don't know if that's going to pass or not. It's been proposed, but it's kind of stuck in committee at the moment in, in the U.S., so do most uh, American states or just most of the U- United States uh, go to daylight saving time the same as we do? They do, yeah. The whole country switches back and forth. I think maybe, oh, Arizona and Hawaii don't. Um, oh. But the rest of the country switches back and forth. Um, and, you know, we we certainly support the idea of stopping the time changes because they are disruptive. Um, they have these acute impacts for a few days afterwards. Um, but we'd like to see people go to day to year-round standard mm-hmm. time instead of daylight saving time year-round. And that's what you're part of the Canadian Society for Chronobiology. You know, I, I've, chronobiology is, is an area I'm not really familiar with. Um, is it mainly the study of time and, and things like that? Like, what is chronobiology? That's- that's right. Well, from the name, that's what it means, chrono for time and biology. So we are a scientific society of uh, researchers all across Canada, and we study biological clocks, so mostly circadian rhythms, and circadian means about a day. So these 24-hour rhythms I've been describing to you, where you have a clock in your brain and, and clocks in organs all over your body. Um, and people um, study this at all kinds of levels. They study it at the level of human health, and they study it at the level of, of animal physiology, what's basically going on in, in animal models like mice and, and hamsters. Uh, some of us study it down at the molecular level. Okay. I actually study it in a, in a fungus. I look at proteins and genes really? in a fungus and how it keeps time. Yeah, it has some of the same... Uh, timekeeping mechanisms that we think are going to apply to higher organisms and and humans as well, but it's just a lot easier to study it in a fungus. What an incredibly interesting area of work that would be. Who would ever dream that this is going on at so many molecular levels from from all of us? It's fascinating, Patricia. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're out of time because there's so much to talk about about this. But thank you so much for your time and for, for making me feel a little bit better that just because I, I'm a little bit tired, need a nap, and maybe a titch crabby, it's because I lost an hour of sleep. I appreciate you letting me get off the hook for that. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Patricia. Well, there you have it. So it's a real thing. And um, 
The Society for Chronobiology recommends permanently switching to year-round standard time and not putting us through this. So it's going to be interesting to see because the politicians have to get involved and make those changes. We have a caller on the line we'll get right back to, but right now we've got to go for a break. Thank you. That's great music to keep us awake. Thanks so much for that, Polly. We have a caller on the line, Melissa. Thank you so much for for patiently waiting for uh, your call. Um, Tell me what you want to talk about. Well, thank you for taking my call. I missed the first part of your very interesting speaker, and this may have been addressed, in which case I apologize. But I'm from the States, from Texas, actually, and my grandparents always said that daylight savings time was created to enable people to have more time in the evening for their victory gardens. No, we never addressed that, but that's really interesting. Like, we had talked about how um, farmers apparently had lobbied against it, but not that people wanted it so that they'd have more time. So what, what exactly were they doing in the evenings? Vegetable gardens, victory gardens during the war. Oh, for heaven's sakes, you know that... That's probably a great piece of history we didn't even know about. And people just wanted to have more time. So, And your grandparents were doing that? Yes. my gra- I'm older. My grandparents were older. Yes, they were doing that. And it, it, it makes sense that it's a much better um, uh, marketing mm-hmm. item than I want to golf. Well, you know, she was talking, it would, what I found was really interesting, that she was talking about how it affects animals. But that every... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I... We've had farm animals, and it affects all the animals. It affects us. It affects everyone. It's a horrible, horrible thing to do. But the reasoning, as far as I understand it, the reasoning that made it a national activity was victory gardens during the, during the war so that people would have more daylight hours to work in their victory gardens to support the war. That's fantastic. That's really wonderful, wonderful history to hear about. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about that, Melissa. Okay, take care. Thank you. We've got another caller, Don. You're on the line. Hi. Hi, Don. Uh, my my question is for those that live in the extreme northern and southern hemispheres, where um, they have mm. like four hours of light, and vice versa. Um, do you notice any difference in their their lifespans? Jeez, Don. I wish we'd had. To, I should have asked her that because she's not on the line now that we could find oh, that information I... out. But, you know, it's interesting because UConn, um, they, they've stayed on standard time, and I wonder if that had a lot to do with that. Is, is, it it you know. could have. Now, the other thing I, I, was, I was taught a long time ago was, uh, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin actually brought in daylight savings time because they were running low on candles. Oh, wow. That's so long wonderful. Be- long before hydro. How <laughs> true that is, I'm not positive, but that is one thing that I had heard. Well, you know, I'd read similar that they were talking about it way back in the 1750s about that, and, and it, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Having yeah, more sunlight during the daytime. Again, if, if I'm accurate, but um, that's what I was taught. And I believe it was Benjamin Franklin, actually, that had brought it in the first time ever. Jeez, but anyway, yeah. have a great day. Thanks, so That's great information. Thank you. And that takes us right up to the top of the news. And we're back to Kitchener today. I'm Brenda Halloran, your guest host for the show. 
And boy, this time has gone by really fast. We're already at the last hour of the, today's show, and we've had some wonderful guests and learned so much. Um, I, I'm always amazed at what I learn on these shows from, from our guest speakers. They're incredible people. But today, for the next half hour, it's all about you, the callers, the listeners. And Polly and I are going to be uh, opening up our hearts and, and talking about things that are really personal to us. And um, I, I, this is really fascinating to hear about Polly. He always surprises me with stuff. So today, let's talk. I, I've asked, people have been emailing me. They still want to talk about pet peeves. So if you got a pet peeve, call in. Um, but what I'm interested in is, have you ever been told you look like someone famous? So we all know that strange word, doppelganger, and, and when you hear it, you pretend like you know what it's, it means, but you have no idea. But doppelganger is just a double of a living person. That's that's how it's described. So for um, me, um, I'll hold off on that, but what I'd like to also talk about is... Um, now that we've talked to Betty Ann Keller about the, the amazing music scene here years and years ago, and I'm sure some of you listeners are probably in my age group, what was the most amazing live rock show you attended way back when? So my first, I went to a lot because I, I really love rock and roll music. I still do. And um, the best show that I, I had so many, but I was thinking about that during the break. And my most favorite amazing show was seeing Queen and we had really close front row seats and to see Freddie Mercury like 10 feet away it was it was something I'll never forget um that was pretty exciting to see and um my doppelgangers so when I was young so we're going back hundreds of years the I was quite often asked if I was the um singer of the rock group ABBA and it was it was fascinating. So people thought, and the, the lady it was the blonde lady, and her name is Agnetha Faltzkog. I had never looked her up until today to find out what her name was. But she, um, apparently I looked like her, and that was really, really a, a compliment. And my husband, Fred, has been stopped. We have been stopped in uh, outside, in place outside the country, in New York, place like that, by people who think he's George Lucas. And it just cracks us up because, number one, George Lucas is a lot bigger than my husband. But he um, he does look like him. So that's kind of fun. So now I'm going to ask uh, my world-famous producer, Polly, who have people told you that you look like? We used to have a host here years ago who constantly told me and even said it on the air that I both look like and sound like Jonah Hill. <laughs> and he does. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't see it, but uh, it, that's what I've been told. You know, now, I think a, he's lost a lot of weight since, so maybe not quite as much. Nah, <laughs> he's a handsome dude. Know. Just oh, well, like you. you. Just handsome I guess I dudes. should take that as a compliment. Take it as a, you know, it's so true. And, and when people say that, you know, I would never have guessed until when you said that. It's like, oh, of course he looks like Joan. Oh, my gosh. But you do sound like him. You got the best really, voice. Honestly, eh? you got a great radio voice. I have voice. no idea. What was your most exciting concert that you went to? Well, I'm a lot younger than you. you so yes, I, I never saw Queen young. in concert or anything like that. I don't think you were born then. Uh, <laughs> well, certainly not old enough to go to concerts for sure. Oh, I love it. Uh, probably would have been... I mentioned this on the air a few times. I guess it was but six or seven years ago when I was over at uh, Country 106.7 producing the morning show. Old Dominion. 
at uh, the center in the square. Is that a rock band? Well, they're a country band, <laughs> okay. but they put on a great show. It was a really good time. Yeah. Yeah, when I was over on the producing the country morning show, I went to, I went to a lot of concerts. A lot of country artists oh, yeah. come into the area, yeah. and you know, so you got tickets for them, and you go with listeners and stuff. Uh, another really good one was uh, Darius Rucker, oh. who some people would mm-hmm. know better as uh, Hootie from Hootie mm-hmm. and the Blowfish. Great voice. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. So he 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 played a couple of the. Uh, uh, his old Hootie and the Blowfish songs, but Darius Rucker, who I'm a, a fan of as well, I saw him in Toronto at the, whatever it's called now, Budweiser Stage, Molson <laughs> Amphitheater, I don't know what I it's called. I don't either, honestly. But, uh, yeah, that was a great show. So uh, I know not along the lines of, you know, Led Zeppelin no, or Queen no. or whatever. I think sometimes I feel like I really miss the good old days They were you with know, concerts, yeah. but uh, those, those are mine. You know, people call in 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715. We want to hear your stories. I want to hear who is the most amazing rock show you ever saw in your life. So another one that I went to, and I, um, I was a real, I'm a real David Bowie fan, and actually I used to skip out of school to go to concerts in Toronto, but don't tell my, well, my mom, don't tell my mom. But it was, um, you know, those days were really incredible because, you you could get tickets. You could afford tickets to rock shows. And um, you're able to go and, and see some of the biggest stars and be fairly close to them because they weren't like the monster shows they are now, you know, that so many people go. But that was, um, yeah, I, I went to, I think, three or four co- his, of his concerts. And um, every single one was so different. Yeah. But I didn't go to country. I never went to a country rock show. I'm in a country is it a rock, country rock show? Is that the right uh, way to talk maybe. about it? Maybe. I mean, country has changed a lot in the last 40 years. Yeah. People, I think a lot of people still have the, you know, the sense that it's about pickup trucks and honky tonks. It's not. It's, it's not? It's, no, the, the, it, it's, changed, <laughs> it, it's changed a lot. It's, 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 it's really good music. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. But uh, yeah, maybe country rock, maybe. I know a lot of people who used to be into rock music years ago in the, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s have turned into country people today. They have? It's just, it's, it's kind of the evolution of, it's really interesting, yeah. A lot yeah. of those old rockers like a lot of the newer country music, yeah. So you never have gone to an actual big rock concert? Uh, not with a really big name. I mean, Bare Naked Ladies, but again, that's not really a rock concert. So I wouldn't say that I've been to a rock concert. I've been to a bunch of, like, you know, smaller smaller bands local yeah. local bands at the uh, the starlight which unfortunately is not around anymore or uh, at the, the Maxwell's music house although it's mm-hmm. not, not called that anymore mm-hmm. I think we're going to be speaking with Paul Maxwell actually coming up yep and you know so, he's got a lot of uh, I, I went through his website and he's got a lot of um, shows coming in and bands coming in and a lot of them are sold out you know when Betty Ann was talking about the music scene here it, it's it's been pretty sad to see how many venues have shut down over the last couple of years. Yeah, and it's hopefully they survive. I think I think uh, Maxwell's concerts and events is still around. I think. Oh, right? for so, sure. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. It is cool, but uh, you know it's such a shame because there were um, places like Starlight. They were such. They were so popular with people, and I remember when they were shutting down that. Uh, you know, my daughter. They used to hang out there all the time, and they were devastated to see that it's shut down. And I just. Um, I don't know. I, I Betty Ann was very positive and, and hopeful about having these venues coming back. And I 
we need them. You know, we haven't had music and, and live concert events and live theater for so long, and we're all just ready to get out there and, and support our local musicians and artists. We've got Wayne on the line. Wayne, what are you going to talk to me about? Well, I wanted to tell you about a concert I went to. It wasn't a rock concert, but it was Kenny Rogers. Nice. And it was a outdoor uh, concert uh, near Kincardine. And he did something I will always remember. There was somebody not too far from the stage uh, talking to somebody on their cell phone. And uh, Kenny said to them, hey, are you talking to somebody on your phone? And they said, well, yeah, I am. (laughs) And he said, give me your phone. And he took the phone from them and talked to this person on the phone for a minute or two and then gave the phone back to them. That's wonderful. Whoever that person was, like, can you just imagine? And I thought, that is just awesome. We're we're out in the crowd and we're thinking, oh, boy, he's going to be mad with them or something. Yeah. And he wasn't, and he spoke to somebody on the phone. I thought, that is cool. That's really cool. And, you know, he's such a lovely person by the, you know, just just when you see him singing that and he had that beautiful crinkly eyes and the face. And, yeah, he's a great singer. Just an excellent voice. Yeah, really enjoyed the concert, and I just, man, I will remember that part of the concert <laughs> for sure, as well as all the good singing, of course. But yeah. just what a neat thing he did. That's a really neat thing, Wayne. Thanks so much for calling. Hey, have a great day. You too, love. We have Joe on the line. Joe, what are you going to tell us about? Um, first off, I've been told several times that I look like Andy Garcia. Good-looking guy. Uh, yeah, best concert I ever saw was happened hands down probably had to be Burton Cummings and Randy Bachman doing Guess Who and BPO. Oh, Absolutely yeah. Absolutely outstanding. Got to see both. And so, the, Was that um, after they kind of split up or were, were they still BTO at the time? Yeah, yeah. This, this would have been sort of like a reunion gig or something and it was at Lulu's Kitchener, the oh, old Lulu's. Uh, Lulu's bar. Oh, Remember that... they had, used to have the biggest bar in the world at one point? Yeah, those were that was a great place. I only went a few times, but it was it was such an experience, eh? Yep. Also saw Jethro Tull there. That was oh, awesome geez. too. Yep. Yeah, some good ones. Yeah. Yeah. We, anyway, just we did I'd great. Share that with you. Those are great stories. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks. Hi, Dan. What are you going to tell us about? Uh well. I was born in 61, so I was born in the air. I've seen a lot of great rock bands. Yeah. And I always love rock. Forget the country. I'm not really in the country. And over, but I'll agree with Polly. Over 40 years, it has changed. But uh, one of the best concerts I've ever seen was uh, Rainbow and uh, Scorpions at the Kitchener Auditorium. And they were both German bands, and Rainbow was the head band, and they put on one heck of a light show. Hmm. But I thought the Scorpions really blew them away. But I'm surprised Farwell hasn't called in because one of my favorite <laughs> friends is Rush, and I've seen them like eight or nine times and the best drummer in the world ever. You've seen them eight or nine times? Oh, yeah. I, I always diehard Rush fan. I still am. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know, when they first came out with their music, too, they were they were so uniquely Canadian. Yes. Weren't they, with their sound and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. But people come, what about Nickelback? Are you uh, one of those people who hate Nickelback? Uh, yeah, I, I like Nickelback. They were pretty good, too. Yeah, I wonder what happened to I've seen The Who, I've seen Pink Floyd, ACDC. I was at the concert at the Odd for, uh, what you said there, uh, Kiss? Yep, you were there? Oh, yeah. 
So when you first saw them, like that was people weren't wearing makeup like that, right? This was a really big no, thing. No, no, it was it was all nude. I was sixteen years old. <laughs> you weren't drinking, were you? Uh, well, we'll just stop the conversation there. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. Like, our parents really were naive about stuff because they had never, they weren't going to rock concerts. But there's a lot of stuff happening with, with uh, oh, younger it folks. It was fantastic. We've, we've lost all those years now. There's, there's not really good rock bands, you know. Well, there's some there, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers are still out there. and But a lot of them are losing fast. You know, it's so true. And, and when you hear of the death of one of the, the rock and roll Stars yeah. from well, our generation. Parts, I want that. That hit me hard. It must have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Do you know is Rush doing anything now? Are they going out on tour? Anything happening? Just so no, we, so but, Mike uh, knows. The last I heard, I think they're planning on doing something, and and I don't know if they're going to actually go out as Rush or hmm. do something and just pick up a drummer. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm waiting to hear. Would you go to that concert? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you are a diehard Rush fan. Well, thank oh, yeah. you so much for calling in, Dan. <laughs> Take care of yourself. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, Paul. I'm dying to hear what you've got to tell us. Well, uh, doppelganger-wise, uh, not too much lately. Well, nothing lately, but I've been told I look like Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer? Well, he's a good-looking yeah. dude. <laughs> well, thanks for that, but... Uh, I don't know, either. why couldn't it be Robert Redford or somebody like that? Hey, listen, you're Robert Redford in somebody's eyes. <laughs> and that was at the Waterloo Rec Center was the first time. I had my daughter there swimming when she was seven. She's 31 now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, another time at theirs, I was in line just waiting for groceries, and another guy tapped me on the shoulder. And twice, down in the Dominican Republic, uh, a guy asked me if his girlfriend could have her picture taken with me. Because I look like Jerry Springer. Is that right? And did you? I not believe it. Pardon? Did you? Did you? Get... Oh, yeah. And sure. You... It was a big show. I thought it was funny. <laughs> did you follow along with it, though? Oh, no, no, no. No, it's not. He knew I wasn't. It was just the resemblance, right? Oh, that's so much fun. How about about rock concerts? Um, I went to a Roxy Music concert. I think my first oh, one, gosh, Roxy yeah. Music, back in the 70s. Yeah. Oh, great that band. Was yeah, and uh, and uh, my ex won a uh, uh, through the radio uh, Rolling Stones uh, back in the when they were at uh, Sky Dome there back when it was called the Sky Dome back in the early nineties we were down we had a limo ride down uh, down to see the Stones and everything so that was good too. Oh man, you know I do feel. Um kind of sad for younger people because they, you know they're listening to music online and, and and I mean it's great music the music coming out is it's just wonderful but to have those experiences of sitting at those rock concerts eh, and and just yeah. when the lights would go out and everybody would have their lighters going and we didn't have our camera or our, our um, cell phones right we'd have these oh, burning sure. things and our thumbs would always get burnt but um, the magic of that and being oh yeah outdoors, like it's a it's a memory that you, you really can't duplicate, you know, and uh, I guess they, they all have their own memories, but, uh, you know, for, for us, uh, it, was, it was legendary. Mm-hmm. And it was the start of a lot of that music. You know, I remember when I first, I was really little when the Beatles came out, but I remember hearing that music and it, it changed me. Like, it was just like a, a massive impact on me for the music because my parents have been playing, you know, older Frank Sinatra and the big band kind of music. That's kind of what we heard. And then all of a sudden there was this incredible music coming out of England that we just, it, it was just breathtaking to me. Right, right. Great stories, Paul. Thank you very much, Jerry. Okay. And if I see you out there, I'll ask, I'll say hi, Jerry. Yeah, and if I still have a show, you can be on it. <laughs> 
Uh, adds a date. Okay, thank <laughs> Take you. care. Thank Bye. You. Hi, Rob. Let's hear from you. Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly that year it was. Um, I'm over 80, so it was, uh, it was in the late 50s, probably 58. And it was in the Kitchener Auditorium. And some of the big stars are there. I, I know for sure Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis oh, was there. Oh, gosh, yeah. Chuck Berry. Oh, wow. I, I take Flats Domino, but I'm not 100% sure of, of everybody or the whole bunch there. What was it and like? Was, oh, it was sort of fantastic. <laughs> you know, everybody got into it. The, the whole thing was packed, of course, with all these stars. Man, and you still it, remember that. Well, I mean, I was 18 years old, so I mean, I was that young, you know, but it was fantastic. Wow, thanks for calling in and sharing that. That was that would have been a great concert to see. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much, Rob. Thank you. And we have Brian on the line. Brian, who did you see, or are, who's your doppelganger? Well, well, it's not who I saw, it's who I didn't get to see. Okay. Um, when I was six years old... So this is in the mid-70s. Um, my cousin, who was a teenager, came to my mom and said, um, I've got tickets to see Kiss at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. Jeez. And I was six years old and thought Kiss was incredible, right? Yeah, yeah. So I wanted, so I wanted <laughs> to go, and my mom said, absolutely not. I'm not taking a six-year-old no. to see those guys. Forget it. So I never got to see them in that era. <laughs> Um, but I still have a concert poster that I bought years later from that show at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. Oh, for heaven's sake. And uh, it's hanging in my office. And when I look at it, I think, I never got to see that show. I love it. But who is your favorite uh, performer? Who would you wanted your face to look like? Were you like a Gene um, Simmons fan? or I was always a Paul Stanley guy. I always thought he was the coolest front man. Well, he was. Did you know, did you know that they played at Wilfrid Laurier University? No. They played there in September 1974 with a band oh. called Flood. Oh, for heaven's sakes, did they yes. really? So they, they were here several they were, times. They played um, at the Memorial Auditorium on two different occasions, in 76 and 77 again. Oh, that's great. That's great history. We'll have to make sure Betty Ann knows that, too. There you go. And she's talking about it. Thanks so much for sharing that with us, Brian. I love it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for the people calling in. And, hey, I'm going to tell people something. I I'm still love rock and roll music, and people are always shocked at, at uh, the music I like because they, they don't – I guess they don't think I look like I should like this music. But I'm my favorite band's been ACDC, and now I'm a Pearl Jam fan. Eddie Vedder all the way. Time for a break. Great music, Polly. Love it. So we now have Rudy on the line. Rudy, I'm really looking there, forward to what you um, have to tell couple, us. Um, since I'm 62. Just a young one. I seen at our high school, Forest Heights Collegiate, I think it was 1977, we had Triumph. Oh, yeah. Play at our high school. And the Kiss concert, that was in 1978, I believe. I was there. It was the first Kiss concert there. And the backup band or the warm-up band was Cheap Tricks. Oh, my gosh. It was wow. awesome. And this was just before they really were getting big. So, okay, so which KISS person would you have liked to have been? Well, for those concerts, I think it was Gene Simmons. Yeah. You know, let's be real. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I also seen Super Tramp there, and oh. it was a crime of the century yep. concert. That was the best concert I've ever seen. 
Yeah, they were an amazing band, weren't Acoustically, they? they were the best. But it was awesome. I also seen Rush there a couple of times, too. A lot of Rush fans in this town. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Rudy. And Barbara, I'm looking forward to hearing what you got to tell us. Yeah, I'm in my late 70s, and my concert memories are seeing Harry Belafonte at the auditorium. Oh. And being about eight seats from the front, which was great. And also at Wilfrid Laurier, there was a concert by Peter, Paul, and Mary. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Those are amazing people to have seen. Yeah. And, of course, we used to um, roller skate at the auditorium as well. You know, I remember those roller skating days, and and that was probably one of the most important, exciting things we ever did when we were young people. Yep, yep. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Barbara. Great, great memories. So there you have it. There's a lot of music in this town, and I'll give another shout-out to um, Rock This Town movie happening at the Princess Twin Theaters. The the tickets, each show is almost sold out. so I think if more people are calling in for tickets, they're going to extend it. But I really recommend you go to see it. I'm, I'm really hoping to catch it. We're heading into the news now. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everybody. And we're back at Kitchener today. I'm Brenda Haller and your guest host for the next half hour. This show has gone by so quickly and we've had such such wonderful guests. And I always like to finish off the show um, to high, highlight and showcase the incredible entrepreneurs of this community and what they've had to go through for the past two years dealing with COVID and trying to keep their business afloat. And I think it's really important that we, we continue to talk about the impact on our local businesses and our local economy, as we had talked about quite a few of our our entertainment and musical venues have had to shut down because after two years, how can you stay afloat? But when I talk to the to uh, my next guest, um, I, I follow her on on social media, and I I see you know what she's gone through. She's been really upfront and and uh, really just talking about the impact of COVID on her, her business, herself. And um, I'm always so proud of, of people's honesty and openness and sharing of, of what they've gone through and their struggles and that they're still survived and what they've had to do to stay afloat. So my next guest is Danielle Green. I've known her for several years, and she's the owner of Artisanal, Artisanal Design Company. She also is the CEO and founder of Danielle G Events. And Danielle, it's such a thrill to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you and uh, to give a little bit of insight as to what this experience has been like. It's not been easy, has it? No, it has not been easy. It's been a very defining two years, um, and it has definitely been a situation of sink or swim. And um, But you know what? I've definitely been swimming <laughs> the best that I can. Yeah. And, you know, when tell me about kind of the history of when you opened up your shop and, and what, what you do. So I opened up Artisan Design Co. in October of 2018. Um, it was initially all um, artisan-made, meaning locally-made products, um, whether it be candles or soap, um, that were trying to support, to, trying to support the, the local community. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been uh, it's been very interesting how we've pivoted since the pandemic began. Um, and now we primarily sell vintage clothing and a bit of rework as well, meaning that we take 
clothing that was um, that we could not sell or that damaged textiles and we turned to something new. Oh, interesting. So uh, what started you in, in this type of business in 2018? Well, um, I made a big change in my um, in my living situation. So I, I had a breakup and I sold my house and mm-hmm. then I had money from that and I decided, okay, what am I going to do with it? And a friend of mine recommended to me that I open up a shop. And at the time I had my, my wedding planning business and so I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll do something that kind of touches on weddings a bit, touches on gifts. And I opened up the shop, but it has transformed and changed in, in so many ways mm-hmm. since then. So when COVID happened, and you, I, I think you had qu- expanded quite a bit, just kind of around that time, and then COVID hit, then, then how did you manage things? What did you do? I got really, really creative. You did. Um, we were starting to introduce a little bit of clothing at the time because um, our sales were not high enough um, with just selling the artisan products. So what we did is I took like a took clothing from my grandmother, my aunt, my mom, anything I could get for pretty much free, and I put them on a rack and I put one rack by the window, hoping that I could get customers to come in, and um, it worked. And it went from from one rack to a store full of it. Yeah, you and wonderful yeah. stuff. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, we try to have clothing that stands out, and it's clothing that if someone saw you in it, they go, where did you get that? <laughs> uh, you know, and um, I'm a very out there, positive, um, creative person. So for me, it's very important to have people be highlighted, to be seen, to be shown, but in a sustainable way that definitely helps the community. So um, we pivoted into um, vintage clothing and it just ballooned from there and it's been fantastic and we actually increased in sales big time since the pandemic started wow oh good for you but what is it like for you like you know it's easy now to talk about it and and things are kind of coming back and 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 the you know the, the sun's shining but during the time like for two years I, I knew you were a lot on social media, on Instagram. You're posting as much as you could, but you know, when when at the end of the day, and and you hadn't made much money, how were you able to cope with all of this? It was hard. I'm not going to lie to yeah. you. Um, you know, right now I'm looking at all the positive that happened, but you know what? It was it was hard, and I think the best thing for me was to really lean into social media. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't very active at the time before that on Instagram, and I decided to really build up that platform, um, that page that I had. I started to do live sales, um, which is kind of like the shopping channel mm, yeah. where we display different clothing and items that we had in there. Um, I did a lot of curbside pickup, um, what, pretty much whatever I could do to get money in. But I was also being very transparent with my customers, letting them know that, you know what, we're having a hard time coming up with rent right now. Mm. Um, we're having a hard time paying this bill. And I think Sometimes where people are inclined to show um, the 5%, meaning like the best moments. But I think it's important that people are aware of the 95%, meaning all the hard work and the sacrifices and the hard times that happen while you're owning a business, especially during a time where the health regulations just kept on changing and it was hard to keep up. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's really important to talk about the hard times because people look at business people and think, oh, they, you know, they, they've got it made and all, you know, it's so easy to run a business and, 
you don't know what it's like to work for someone else, but being an entrepreneur is not easy, is it? No, it's not easy. Um, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, a lot of the times you're making less than minimum wage. Hmm. You know, yeah. once yeah. your overhead is taken out, once it comes to getting inventory, um, the amount of hours that you work, if I was to calculate how much I make, a lot of the times, there was many times, honestly, within the past few years where I didn't make anything for myself. It was literally just enough Jeez. to keep the business mm. open. And um, I think that's why we've seen so many businesses close around us because they've literally gone broke yeah. trying to stay open. And unfortunately, um, a lot of the, the grants, you know, a lot of people look at that and go, oh, $10,000, that's great, $20,000, that's fantastic. But a lot of businesses were left out of that. Um, and a lot of businesses that did receive that, it's not enough to keep you going when you think about how much their rent was, paying their employees taxes. Um, so I have not received much finances myself. You know, I'm not going on any vacations right now yeah. in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it's definitely survival mode to stay open because everything that I own, as I mentioned about selling my house, Pretty much everything that I have, I put into this business. So if I lost this business, I would lose everything. Wow. That's quite a statement. And yeah. It, yeah and you don't have any backup, right? It's not like you have a HR department that's there to help you out or to cut checks for you. You're, you're it. You're responsible I for am you. It. Yeah. Yes. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a single gal, you know, so I don't have a partner um, that I can rely on be like, you know, at least they got their little paycheck. I can yeah. um, be able to stay afloat with that. I don't have anything. It's just um, it's just me and, um, and my family. I have a very great, amazing supporting family base. And I have amazing friends as well that volunteer their time to help me um, keep my business going, whether it be working the till or helping me on social media. Um, Liz Regal from Black Tie Affair, she has been the biggest part of, keeping me going um, when I thought that I would give up. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to start their own business? If um, I gave some advice to someone who um, wants to start a business, I would tell them that um, to take a moment and to really plan um, how you're going to go about it. Um, My biggest thing is, you know, sometimes we want to go big really fast, but instead take a slow Find ways that you can run your business for as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to take on as little, this is my personal opinion, that you should take on as little debt as possible. Try to find ways that you can um, run your business without um, stretching yourself thin um, and then build upon that. So definitely take your time. Come up with a solid business plan. You know, um, Come up with a minimal viable offer, something that you don't, don't come up with a big array of products or a big array of services. Have one, two, or three products or services and build up a really good client base from that um, and um, and then grow. Also, use social media. Social media is free. Mm-hmm. a great way for you to, collect, to connect with potential clients um, and, to, um, and to get the, the word out there about your business. But definitely, it's, it's not. I would, I, I, one thing my father told me real quick, um, he said to me when I first started my business, he said, a business is not for, running a business is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be many times you feel like giving up. But if you love it enough, and if you're really passionate about it, you can make it. 
and even what, during a pandemic. And you did. You did, Danielle. You're, you're, you know, it's, it's really fantastic to see where you've landed. So what are you doing now? Give a pitch so, for yourself. So right now, definitely focusing on the online side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that, you know, the, the, man, the mandates are, are, are going away and um, people are going out now, it's fantastic. So the in-store sales is definitely doing great, but the online store is um, where we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. That way we can kind of COVID-proof or pandemic-proof our business that's, yeah, a that's, lot more. Yeah, good idea. And how do we find you online? Uh, definitely, you can find us at www.artisanaldesignco.ca. Yep. Or you can find us on Instagram at Artisanal Design Co. So it's Art is A N A L Design Co. Um, we're definitely very active on Instagram and on Facebook, and we even have a YouTube. I bet. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> uh, thank you, love, for for taking the time to speak with me. I, um, you know, I'm so proud of you and so impressed with with uh, how you survived over the last two years. And um, I'm just excited to watch you continue to shine and see what you do next, Danielle. Thank you. The sky's the limit. It truly is. Take care, love. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. Bye. Wow, what a great story. And our next um, business person on the line is Paul Maxwell. And I have known Paul, again, going way, way back when he was first talking about opening up his his Maxwell's Concert and Events venue. And, um, well, we'll have to go, you'll have to tell me the years, Paul, but I remember you coming to the City Hall with a dream and saying, we need, I need to open up a music venue and we need to provide live concerts and music to the people of Waterloo Region. And you did it and you're on the line with me today. Hi, Paul Maxwell. Hey, Brenda, how are you today? I'm doing great. And it's so nice to speak with you. I haven't seen you in two years. I haven't That's right. Seen anybody. <laughs> to answer if, your question, it's been 15 years since we met. Oh my, has it been that long? It has, yes. <laughs> Jeez, no wonder. And, and losing an hour's sleep, no wonder I'm feeling tired and old today. <laughs> well, and add, add two toddlers in the next one. Yeah, you, you've been busy over the last little while. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, t- 15 years ago we started talking about the venue? Yeah, so we um, we drafted the plans for the original, well, I drafted the plans for the original Maxwell's yeah. uh, on King Street at 220 King North, where we used to be. Yep. Um, when we, we opened in 2008, but the planning and incorporation and all that stuff started in 2007. So that was the, uh, uh, the time where it started to take shape. And then we moved to our current location back in 2014. So yeah. it's been quite some time. Yeah. And it's a great location. I absolutely love it. And I've been there many, many times and I've, I've even hosted my own events there. So if anybody's looking for a place to host an event, um, Maxwell's is fantastic. So tell me a bit about what the last two years have been like for you. Well, it's I'm sure to resonate a lot of sentiments. It's been a roller coaster, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of um, you know ups and downs uh, emotionally and financially, and uh, you know it's just trying to navigate things. And I think what I've learned throughout the whole time was uh, nothing's a sure bet, uh, and just to kind of you know ride things out and and you know really drop your expectations down to. Mm. Try not to have any because then you're you're not going to set yourself up for disappointment. So that's basically what I've tried to do is just take things in stride and as they came and then, um, you know, just roll with the punches. And that's that's what's happened over the last couple of years. I mean, in the beginning, there was so much uncertainty mm-hmm. back back in March of, of 2020. And, and we're coming up actually 
would have been yesterday, uh, would have been two years to the day where we had our last event uh, before the pandemic struck. Um, and so March 13th, 2020 was, wow. was the last event we ran before um, everything got shut down. And at that moment, you know, I walked around the venue that day oh and I said, I think we're going to be closed for two years. Oh, and, you and did? I, I did, yeah. And, and I told people, and, and a lot of people didn't believe me, and I said, this is, this is a two-year recovery. You know, I started putting things in perspective for people in my network saying, you know, there's going to be a va- need for a vaccine and, you know, not only developing it, but then distributing it and, and getting herd immunity or vaccination immunity, all these things. All this stuff's going to take a couple of years. And, and here we are. We're two years later. I mean, we did have a little blip in the calendar where we got to books mm-hmm. and events back mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, in November, December yeah. for a few weeks. We had a six weeks of opening period in Jeez. the last two years. Wow. And uh, fortunately enough, we're, we're back. Um, mm-hmm. And we had our first um, kickoff event in the new year. We had it last weekend with Sean Kellerman, um, which mm-hmm. was a great show. And then we had a, a great Genesis tribute that was in over the weekend. And now we're, our full programming schedule is set to kick off this week. And we're, we're back into, you know, running five, six nights a week here at Maxwell starting this week. That's wonderful to hear. But how, for you personally, how has it been? You know, um, first six months were horrible. I won't lie. It was, um, there was, there was, you know, talk about funding and support and subsidies, but none of them took shape in the first six months. Um, so till leading up to the fall of 2020, uh, there was literally no support that had been um, initiated. Um, so we, we were really unsure what was going to happen here. Um, we were uh, in great standing with our landlord and great communication here. And um, so we, we were doing everything we could and we started to run. I, I came up with some ideas early on. You know, how do we make money mm-hmm. when we can't literally do anything in our core business model? Yeah. So that was very tricky. So we launched a fundraiser um, that was selling off. I had accumulated hundreds of signed posters huh. and memorabilia from the venue over the last uh, you know, decade or so. So I had a whole uh, bin full of them and they were, you know, I had my own collection and then I always had some extra signed for friends and family and things like that, but I had a ton of extras. So we put them up for sale and we sold hundreds of items and that was Jeez. an amazing fundraiser that got us through the first couple months. And then really personally, to answer your question, it was, uh, you know, just trying to come up with the next idea. And so I had to make some pivots personally. I started a marketing company um, that I run uh, externally outside of Maxwell's. It's called Maxwell Marketing Company. And I started taking on digital clients because I've had tremendous experience uh, running events, um, you know, and campaigns online Mm -hmm. for Maxwell's. So why not transfer those skills and to help others run their online campaigns? And, and that's what I did. So I, I started that company uh, about a year and a half ago and I've brought on a couple dozen clients since then and running their online marketing campaigns for, for Facebook, Instagram, and Google. Um, and that's been great. And it's been an awesome, um, you know, side revenue stream, hustle, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and also uh, helps with, you know, preparing me to reopen Maxwell's, mm-hmm. um, learning and keeping up to date with all the new uh, protocol and uh, um, things that would go into an online campaign. So I've been really up to speed on all those things, and the skills are very transferable. So that's yeah. that's helped me personally mend uh, my time and and uh, you know get through all these uh, trivial times. And so personally, that's been great. And then um, you know having a young family. Um, you know, a lot of silver linings for myself personally yeah, and, yeah. and 
taking time away from running events every single night of the week. And I, I can tell you that uh, in the last 15 years of, of running events, I've done over 2,000 of them, and I'm here for almost Jeez. every single one, yeah. day in and day out. So yeah. that personal time is something I'll never get back, and it's been amazing mm. watching my kids grow up. Oh, that's lovely, and they're beautiful kids. How old are they now? Uh, so they're two and a half and four and a half so now. A so very busy my, household. Yeah, my son, <laughs> he's only known masks. So he's yeah. very familiar. His whole life has been COVID and masks. Yep. And to him, that's normal, which is interesting. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's going to be different for kids to, to see our faces, you know, people's yeah, faces. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, um, a little more friendly. <laughs> tell, tell us about what you're, you've got lots of things lined up. I, I was looking at your website and you've got shows that are already sold out. So what, what's happening in the next little while? Yeah, so this week's really exciting because we're we're featuring our big St. Patrick's Day. Um, we had it was the first day event we canceled uh, back when the oh, pandemic gosh. struck. Uh, March fourteenth mm-hmm. was going to be the original event, um, so that one's finally happening, <laughs> and that's uh, this Thursday with the Mudmen, who are an amazing Celtic rock uh, band. They have two bagpipe players that are the, the Campbell brothers that. That are really really fun. So it's just a real fun live music event. With um, they have banjos and bagpipe players and guitar and, and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so that's happening. And then we've got um, a really cool Ze- Led Zeppelin tribute called Zed. Um, they've been here before, and we had a packed house for them uh, before the pandemic as well. So they're back um, this weekend. And then coming up, we've got lots of you know the, the original events we started to book um, from a booking perspective to do some quick kind of uh, turnaround type of events. We programmed a lot of tribute bands and, and cover bands uh, that are, are local or within an hour and a half drive of here. So those are the ones that we were able to book right away. And then the tours, they start up in uh, in April. Um, so we've got a sold-out show with Big Rec coming through. Um, we have uh, the Born Ruffians coming in. Kim Mitchell's coming back in. Uh, David Wilcox is coming back in. And then we just announced... An all-female fronted rock band. Uh, we announced that today. They're called The Warning, and they're coming in um, uh, on June 11th. So we're really excited to have them. Um, so yeah, lots of great stuff. Um, updating the calendar basically on a weekly basis right now, and the tours are finally coming back. There's still some some um, uh, you know difficulty with from a booking perspective. Uh, the band's agents that are routing tours, they're having a hard time because of. The rules are different everywhere, so that's been a challenge. So some tour dates have been dropped because they can't make the tour dates work because if, you know, the rules are different here as they are in Quebec or they're done differently in the States, then the tours have been kind of uh, going through a real hard time of getting put together properly. But those are starting to come together now. And, um, you know, come this fall, uh, everything's going to be in full swing is, is what I'm thinking. Oh, that's so exciting, Paul. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. So it's Maxwell Concert and Events in Waterloo. Lots going on, and I can't wait to see you, Paul. Yeah, me too, Brenda. Thanks for having me. Thank you day. so much. And now we're heading over to break. Well, it's hard to believe that the three hours has already come and gone and the show's coming to an end. I want to thank all my guests who uh, were on the show today, just fantastic people. I want to thank producer Polly for always having my back and being the best guy ever. Stay safe, everyone, and hug the people you love. Thank you so much.